As you may recall, I've been talking about sacraments in a series of homilies. And I intended to talk about confirmation today to kind of follow up last week's baptism talk. But these readings today touch so directly on the sacrament of holy matrimony, I decided to cover that instead. Weddings, like baptisms, are joyous occasions. Families gather and witness a couple express their love and commitment, uh, promising to be there for each other throughout whatever life will throw at them. Tremendous time and energy and money is spent preparing for the day. You've got the decorations, the music, the dress, and so on. After the ceremony, there's usually a big celebration. Everyone's there. Great-grandparents down to uh, the newborn nieces and nephews. Weddings are awesome. But why? What's the big deal? Well, in part, I think it's because everyone loves a good love story. We enjoy seeing our friends happy. But also because, as a society, we realize this sort of commitment is good. Not just for the couple, but for everyone. Society is better off when men and women marry. Their kids are better off, if God grants them children, when couples marry. Married people are happier, they're healthier, they're more productive in society on average. This is why, at least historically, the state provided benefits to married couples. It wasn't just because the state was being generous. It was because marriage helps society. But why does it help? Well, I'd argue God has something to do with that. Marriage is, after all, one of the seven sacraments. As I pointed out a couple of weeks ago, the sacraments do something, or rather, God does something through them. Marriage, when it's celebrated validly according to God's plan, bestows God's grace, his help, It's actually poured out on the couple to help them to live the way they're called to live. The flip side of that, of course, is that if people attempt some sort of arrangement that's not according to God's plan, then God's help, his grace, is not poured out upon the arrangement. In fact, other sorts of relationships that people sometimes call marriage today are often not marriage at all, and in fact, they're sinful. Because these days, the state has got things a bit wrong. So is the culture. For example, you know, according to our government, a relationship between two men or between two women can be a marriage. Um, Our government says marriages of any combination can be ended with little more than some paperwork. The state says people can marry repeatedly, numerous times, with no difficulty, though... For now, at least, only one spouse at a time, right? But the church, the Catholic Church, knows about real marriage and what it is like. Like all the sacraments given us by Jesus, marriage has been entrusted to the Catholic Church, which defends the truth about this sacrament and passes it on through the generations, even when the truth is unpopular. Um, So, what is marriage then? 
Well, marriage is sometimes called the primordial sacrament because the vocation to marriage is written in the very nature of man and women as we were created by God. I mean, a look at our differing bodies shows we were made for marriage. It's not a merely human creation. It's a creation of the creator of humans, right? Um, From the beginning, Jesus said in today's gospel, marriage had certain attributes and features that no human, not even the great Moses, could change. The church certainly has no power to change what marriage is, even though some people are trying to push us to change it. The church has no power to do that. And neither can the Supreme Court or the state of North Dakota. In today's gospel, it was Jesus Christ himself, echoing the words of Genesis, who said, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, that so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... No human being must separate. This tells us a lot about what marriage is, what it really is. And it calls to my mind how some people have described marriage as having two purposes and four attributes. I know it's a bit complicated, but I'll try to break it down. The two purposes often described for marriage are unitive and procreative. Marriage is unitive because it establishes a partnership of the whole of life between a husband and wife. It's ordered toward the good of the spouses, right? And I think people get that. You know, they understand that people get married because they think it'll bring them closer together. It'll strengthen their relationship with one another. But we can't forget the second purpose as well, and we can't separate the two. The procreative purpose is important. See, this is because marriage is, by its nature, ordered toward the procreation and education of children. Marriage is the proper and best setting for the raising of children, and secular studies even confirm this. It's in a family with their own father and mother, that children have the best chances to be virtuous and good members of society and future saints in the church. This is why God has connected the unitive and procreative aspects of marriage. And it's why God's church explains that things which try to separate the two, like contraception, which says you want to have the unitive, bringing the couple together without the procreative. You don't want the children. That these sorts of things are contrary to God's plan and they're sinful, right? Marriage and babies do go together. That's how society and the church continues to exist. So the purpose of marriage is to bring couples together and to bring about through them more people, right? But what are some other attributes of marriage, some features of it? As I say, there's four, and they're commonly listed as free, total, faithful, and fruitful. 
We say marriage is free because it can only be entered into freely. If someone is, say, pressured into marriage, or they maybe have no idea what they're getting into when they say their vows, or if they're unaware of something their fiancé has hidden from them, like some serious addiction, uh, well, the sacrament can be invalid. There might not be a real marriage. So shotgun weddings don't make real marriages, right? And likewise, at the moment people exchange their vows, they have to be clear-headed. And I tell couples this a lot of times at the wedding rehearsal. Um, It's a state law that I cannot have a wedding if the bride or groom is intoxicated. And I think it's a good law, and God would agree. Marriage is something people freely enter into. They have to make a free choice. So marriage is free, but it's also total. Because it is a total and mutual gift of self. Till death do they part. Couples promise to share the whole of their lives together, holding nothing back. This means there is no such thing, as Jesus very clearly said in today's gospel of divorce. There is no such thing um, for Christians of divorce. For baptized Christians, marriage is not just kind of ideally permanent, like we hope we don't get divorced. It is actually permanent as long as the spouses shall live and divorce is impossible. So that's what we mean when we say it's total. Marriage is faithful too. For marriage to be valid, the spouses have to intend, at least when they're saying their vows, to be faithful to one another. Their relationship has to be exclusive, right? There's no such thing as intending an open marriage when you say your vows. This said, though, cheating after the vows does not mean a marriage is automatically invalid. And lastly, of these four, marriage is fruitful. It has to be open to life. So if a couple attempting marriage is not open to having children, they are not seeking real marriage. Fortunately, it's it's a fact. Not every married couple can have kids, but every married couple must be open to children and not do something to kind of frustrate that. So the marriage, real marriage, has a unitive and procreative aspect, and it's free, it's total, it's fruitful, and it's faithful. But who can get married. Well, the sacrament of matrimony involves one very specific combination. One baptized woman who's not yet married and one baptized man who is not yet married. Any other combination is not eligible for the sacrament of matrimony. That said, you know, there is such a thing as natural marriage which involves the unbaptized, but I'm not going to go into that. And then, so let's say you get this combination, baptized man and woman, and what makes the marriage? Well, it's the wedding, right? Uh, But specifically, as the catechism puts it, the church holds the exchange of consent between the spouses, the indispensable moment that makes the marriage. Consent is lacking, there is no marriage. The consent consists in a human act by which the partners mutually give themselves to each other. So when the people I mentioned exchange their wedding vows, 
I take you to be my wife, I take you to be my husband, they are married. The consent, of course, is then fulfilled on the honeymoon, but the vows make the marriage. That's the moment. And then what? What graces then flow through the sacrament for the rest of their married life? What does God do for them? The Catechism described it this way. Christ dwells with them, the couple, gives them the strength to take up their crosses and so follow him, to rise again after they have fallen, to forgive one another. Couples, you know you need the ability to forgive each other, right? To bear one another's burdens, to help each other carry your various crosses in life, to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, and to love one another with supernatural, tender, and fruitful love. In the joys of their love and family life, he gives them here on earth a foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's heaven. So God does beautiful things through the sacrament of matrimony. And couples should desire these graces, not run away from them and fear them in their relationships. Now, that all sounds very good, but uh, we live in a fallen world. What, what, what about promise or problems that arise? Well, things like divorces, remarriages, Catholics getting married outside the church, and so on. I'll just say this. God loves everyone, and nobody is kicked out of the church for these things. But they are problems, and if you or someone you know is in such a situation, please talk to me. And we'll see if we can get things on the right path. Or if you don't want to talk to me, you can call the Office of Canonical Services, the tribunal, as we call it, at the Diocese of Bismarck. They'll help you out. But I'm here for you. Don't be afraid to reach out. Marriage is an awesome sacrament. Like others, it's often misunderstood. But it's a great gift to us from God. For society and the church to flourish... We need good and holy marriages. Living together, it's not enough. Other permutations of relationships, and they're not enough. We need God's grace. And he gives it to us through his sacraments. It's often said that marriage is humanly impossible. And that's why God made it a sacrament. Because with God... All things are possible. Amen.